This is my Bible. It is the Word of God and the will of God for my life. I am who the Word says I am. I'm the righteousness of God in Christ. I'm where the Word says I am. I'm seated right now in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in the place of authority, dominion, and power. I have what the Word says I have. All the blessings of Abraham are mine. And I can do what the Word says I can do. I can do all things through Christ who gives me the strength. Today my mind is alert. My spirit is receptive as I am taught the Word of God. My life is changed for the better. And I will never be the same again. Amen. You may be seated. If you would, turn your Bible to the book of Judges, Judges chapter 6. Today is a special day. It's amazing how quickly time passes. And I realize that when I stand here, my father gives me the opportunity. I realize that I am who I am, not just because of my parents, Pastors Gene and Sue, I am who I am because of Cathedral Christian Academy, now St. Paul's. And I am who I am because in third grade, I had Janice Wood as my teacher, then later as my principal. And I had Gayla Rockwell many years, and Aaron Wood. I am who I am because a long time ago, there was an attorney in the world, and he was crippled in his body, and the Lord, his son brought him to church, and the Lord did a wonderful miracle in his life. And he was healed, and then he was saved. And in gratitude toward God, this attorney gave the rest of his life to working for the church and teaching for St. Paul's. I would not have been able to do all the higher education I did and two master's degrees and a doctoral degree if it were not for Joe Stewart. The Bible says, know them that labor among you. And that is what St. Paul's is. Amber Baker is Emily's teacher. Mary Hardman is Julia's teacher. Reed Tate is Samuel's teacher. The daughter of Don and Vicki Sesney, who have been here since the hotel, Jenna Farrell, is Michaela's teacher. And Mrs. Miles, Mr. Orozco, Dr. Gilmore, Mrs. Molina, and Mrs. Land are Sophie's teachers. Know them who labor among you. And that is what St. Paul's is. Now, last year on St. Paul's Sunday, I shared a message on Samson. We learned you can have the right God. You can have godly, righteous parents. You can have a godly upbringing with the right church, the right youth group, and the right school. And you can even be called and anointed by God. But if your heart is not right, and if you love this world and the things of this world, your life will not be what it could have been. And your life will be cut short. That message, I think, was geared toward the young people, the young adults. Today is for the parents. And the Lord has led me to deal with another Old Testament judge, and that is Gideon. Before the people of God entered the promised land, Moses challenged them, Deuteronomy 6, verse 6, these commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts and press them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. 
When the Lord your God brings you in the land, he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to give you a land with large, flourishing cities you did not build, houses filled with all kinds of good things you did not provide, wells you did not dig, vineyards and olive groves you did not plant. Then, when you eat and are satisfied, be careful that you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Decades later, at the end of his leadership, Joshua challenged the people regarding who they would serve. Joshua 24, beginning in verse 14, now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away. Tell your neighbor, say, throw away. Okay. Tell your other neighbor, say, throw away. Okay. Throw away the gods your, for, your forefathers worship beyond the river and in Egypt. Serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your forefathers served beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. It doesn't take genius to realize we live in wicked days. But Jesus warned us, as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be the coming of the Son of Man. We live in days like the days of Noah. We live in days like Abraham when God sent judgment upon the cities of the plains. We live in days like the days of the Old Testament judges. Everyone does what is right in their own eyes. The first commandment in the Ten Commandments is this, thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. And yet, sadly, in 2023, we live in a land of other gods. We live in a land of idolatry. Even among God's people, so many have little gods, that is, idols that they put ahead of the Lord and his word and his house. What is an idol? An idol is anything you put ahead of God or his word or his house. And if you have children, an idol is anything you put ahead of your children and their good and their future and their eternal destiny. We live in days of idolatry, but there is nothing new under the sun. These are the days like the days of the Old Testament judges. Judges chapter 2. Judges 2, beginning in verse 7. The people served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and of the elders who outlived him and who had seen all the great things the Lord had done for Israel. Joshua, son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110. Verse 10. After that whole generation had been gathered to their fathers, another generation grew up who neither knew the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. Now, whose fault was that? Well, it was the fault of the parents because they didn't do what Moses said. And they didn't teach and impart the ways of God to their children. They didn't do as Joshua said. They didn't choose, and they didn't impart, and they didn't set the right example. Another generation grew up who neither knew the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. Then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord and served the Baals. They forsook the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of Egypt. They followed and worshiped various gods of the peoples around them. They provoked the Lord to anger because they forsook him and served Baal and the Asterisk. In his anger against Israel, the Lord handed them over to raiders who plundered them. He sold them to their enemies all around, whom they were no longer able to resist. 
Whenever Israel went out to fight, the hand of the Lord was against them to defeat them, just as he had sworn to them. They were in great distress. Then the Lord raised up judges who saved them out of the hands of these raiders. Yet they would not listen to their judges, but prostituted themselves to other gods and worshiped them. Unlike their fathers, they quickly turned away. They quickly turned from the way in which their fathers had walked, the way of obedience to the Lord's commands. Whenever the Lord raised up a judge for them, he was with the judge and saved them out of the hands of their enemies as long as the judge lived. For the Lord had compassion on them as they groaned under those who were oppressed and afflicted them. But when the judge died, the people returned to ways even more corrupt than those of their fathers, following other gods, serving and worshiping them. They refused, they refused, they refused to give up their evil practices and stubborn ways. And if you read the book of Judges, you'll see that sadly that that was true even of some of the judges, those called, those anointed, and those set apart by God. Moses told the people to impart, to teach his ways to their children. Joshua told the people to choose. Yet again and again, the parents failed their children and the next generation. Again and again, they turned to false gods and idols. How do you have a generation that grows up not knowing the Lord? How do you have a generation that grows up not knowing the things of God? How do you have a generation that grows up not putting their children ahead of themselves and not putting the Lord God first? Today's message is entitled, Tear Down Your Idols. Tear Down Your Idols. In Judges chapter 6, we come to Gideon. He knew of the Lord. He had heard the stories of old. But Gideon's father had idols. How do you have a generation that grows up not knowing the Lord? Gideon's father had idols. And so the truth is, the sad part of the story is, because his father had idols, Gideon had idols. In Judges 6, verse 25, an angel of the Lord told Gideon, Tear down your father's altar to Baal and cut down the Asherah pole beside it. Then build a proper kind of altar to the Lord your God. How do you have a generation that grows up not knowing the Lord? It's because their parents have idols. And so in our lives, in every area of our lives, we have to tear down the idols. We have to tear down everything that is unholy and anything that is displeasing to the Lord. Gideon's time was a time of idolatry. Judges 6, beginning in verse 1. Again, so this was the pattern. That they would disobey God. Judgment would come. God in his grace and mercy would send a judge. They would be delivered. They would walk with the Lord a little bit. And then quickly they would go back to their old patterns. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. For seven years he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. Because the power of Midian was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in mountain clefts, caves, and strongholds. Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, the Midianites, Amalekites, and other eastern peoples invaded the country. They camped on the land and ruined the crops all the way to Gaza and did not spare a living thing for Israel, neither sheep, nor cattle, nor donkeys. They came up with their livestock and their tents like swarms of locusts. It was impossible to count the men and their camels. They invaded the land to ravage it. 
Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. We're supposed to go to the Lord first, not last. And if he has our heart, we'll go to him first, not last. But when the Lord doesn't have your heart, you'll, you'll do anything, try anything, go to every source but the Lord, and then only go to the Lord last. How do you have a generation that grows up not knowing the Lord? It's because their parents have idols. The crops were ruined. They were impoverished. Their land was ravaged. Seven years of suffering. In Judges 6, the people had asked why these things had happened. The Lord reminded them of all the good he had done for them. But then he said in Judges 6, verse 10, you have not listened to me. How sobering. But praise God for his grace and mercy. And praise God that in his grace and his mercy, he raised up another judge, Gideon. Gideon didn't think he was qualified. But the angel of the Lord told him in Judges 6, verse 12, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. He, he, he wasn't a mighty warrior, but he was because the Lord said he was. And his anointing came upon him. Gideon's father was an idol worshiper. Gideon knew of the things of God, but he did not know the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, Joshua. He knew little of the things of God. He even blamed their troubles on God. But God in his grace and mercy told him, verse 14, go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. He asked, how can I? The Lord told him in verse 16, I will be with you and you will strike down all the Midianites together. Then the Lord told him in verse 25, tear down your father's altar to Baal and cut down the Asherah pole beside it. Baal was the demon god of the Canaanites. Asherah was the female fertility goddess of the Canaanites who were incredibly immoral. How do you have a generation that grows up not knowing the Lord? It's because their parents have idols. And so in your life, in your home, in your family, in your house, you've got to tear down everything that is displeasing to God and get it out of your life and get it out of your home and get it out of your family and get it off your iPhone and whatever it is. You've got to get it out of your house. You've got to do as Jesus taught and sweep the house clean. How do you have a generation that grows up not knowing the Lord? Because the parents have idols. And parents, if you have idols, your children will have idols. And the idols that ensnare you will also ensnare your children. You've got to tear down every idol. Judges 6, verse 25, tear down your father's altar to Baal and cut down the Asherah pole beside it. Gideon obeyed, but he obeyed at night because he feared his own family and the people of the town. The next morning, the men of the town wanted to kill him. But Gideon's father said in verse 31, are you going to plead Baal's cause? Are you trying to save him? Whoever fights for him shall be put to death by morning. If Baal really is a god, he can defend himself when someone breaks down his altar. So Gideon's father knew. Gideon's father knew that Baal was not the god, yet he set up an altar to a false god. Why? To go along with what was typical in his day and his age. He was a compromiser. But if you compromise, your children will compromise. And if you teach them it's okay to compromise, 
they too will compromise. We've got to choose. That's what Joshua said. Choose this day whom you will serve. So Gideon was given the name Jerub Baal, which means he who contends with Baal. He who tears down Baal's altar. You've got to tear down every idol. The Bible tells us that the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon. He blew a trumpet. He summoned the men to arms. In Judges chapter 7, he set out with an army of 32,000 men. But God wanted the credit and the glory. So first, God reduced the number of Gideon's men by nearly 70%. 22,000 men left, and only 10,000 remained. But who was told to leave? The fearful. In Revelation chapter 21, Jesus tells us that the fearful and the cowardly will have no place in heaven in the city of God. 22,000 fearful and cowardly men left and went home, and only 10,000 remained. But God said it was still too many. God reduced the number of men again, and only 300 men were left. Those who kneeled down to drink with their mouths in the stream were disqualified. Only the 300 men who drank from their hands remain. Did you know that there are things that you can do that will disqualify you from God's best, from his blessings and rest in both this life and eternity? See, we, we just want to believe that we can just do whatever we want, live however we want, put God last, and that if there's a problem or an emergency, we'll just, we'll just call him up. And he'll bail us out and praise God for his grace and praise God for his mercy. But I'm 41 and I've seen that when you head down that road, there is a price paid. And it's so often not just in your life, it's in your children's lives. And it's so often not just in your life, but in your children's lives and in your grandchildren's lives. You know, I sat in my study last night Rereading Judges, preparing. As I was working on polishing and tweaking and fine-tuning, I, I sat back and thought, well, maybe, maybe this is too much for St. Paul Sunday. And I took, set that aside, took a break, and got on my phone, which I know I should not do. I opened up Facebook, and I was heartbroken. Because I saw a post by someone from the past, and the situation was one of the parents got a job offer for more money. Instead of praying about it and asking the Lord what he would have them do, the, de the deciding factor was more money. They moved their family to a very liberal state, to a very liberal area. No one thought to count the cost. In a very liberal state, in a very liberal city, in a very liberal area, there are more taxes. $100,000 in New York or New Jersey is not what it is in Texas. You've got to count the cost. They didn't count the cost. They moved, uprooted the family, uprooted the kids, pulled them out of St. Paul's, got settled and found out, oh, golly gee whiz, it's more expensive here. And instead of the parents sacrificing, they did what breaks our hearts again and again and again. They made the children sacrifice and put them in public school in a very liberal state, in a very liberal city, in a very liberal school district. And I was heartbroken to look on my phone and see that there are two young people living in open, unrepentant, rebellious sin in the world. 
And I'm here to tell you today that it is all unnecessary if you will put the Lord your God first above everything else. And yes, that means there's no room for compromisers. And yes, that means that we can't be fearful. We can't be cowardly. And we've got to stand for what's true and what's right and what's true and what's right in our homes with our families and with our children. And no, you're not going to hang out with so-and-so. And no, you're not going to do that. And no, you're not going to watch that. And no, you're not going to go to that concert. And no, you're not going to do these things. Because in our house, we put the Lord our God first. And we serve him only. And in our house, we have no other gods but the Lord God Almighty. In Revelation chapter 21, Jesus tells us the fearful and the cowardly will have no place in heaven in the city of God. 22,000 fearful and cowardly men left and went home. Only 10,000 remained, but God said it was still too many. He reduced the number of men again, and only 300 were left. Those who kneeled down to drink with their mouths in the stream were disqualified. Only the 300 men who drank from their hands remain. Did you know that there are things that you can do that will disqualify you from God's blood, from his best, from his blessings and his rest in both this life and in eternity? Only the 300 men who drank from their hands remained. Not the many. Only the few were qualified. When Gideon snuck into the enemy's camp that night, the Bible says the enemy were as thick as locusts. Their camels could no more be counted than the sand on the seashore. And I'm sure there was some doubt in Gideon's mind. I'm sure there was some fear in his heart. And the Lord told him, sneak down into the camp. And as he got there, he overheard one of the enemy tell his buddy about a dream he had where a loaf of barley bread came rolling through the camp and knocked their tents down. And the enemy said, the Lord has given us into Gideon's hands. That encouraged him. He went back to the men and said, the Lord has given them into our hands. And they set out. They had a trumpet in their right hands. They had a jar with the torch in their left hand. They blew their trumpets at the same time. Then they broke the jars and the torches were lit. The enemy, there was just 300 men plus Gideon. But the Bible says the Lord caused the enemy to turn on each other. And God gave Gideon a great victory. And God got the credit. A great victory with Gideon and 300 men. But friends, there is a great truth here. Perhaps we have overlooked. Jesus said in Matthew 7, beginning in verse 13, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it, but small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Yeah, but mom, dad, everybody's doing it. Well, everyone, the many are headed where? To destruction. The many are headed where? To hell. Everyone doing it or everyone thinking it's okay is never a reason to do anything. Jesus said in Matthew 22, verse 14, for many are called, few are chosen. Say this, say, I'm chosen. Say, say, my family is chosen. Well, we just can't live like the world. We can't just do what the world does. We can't just make decisions the way the world makes them. Many are called, but few are chosen. Many are called, and as Paul told Timothy, God does want all 
to be saved. God does not want anyone to perish. He wants everyone to come to repentance, but all will not believe. All will not accept the gospel. Many are called, few are chosen. And here's the truth, many will reject Jesus. Few will truly follow Jesus. Many will embrace the false gods and the idols of this generation. Few will serve the living God. Few will truly surrender their lives to Jesus Christ and walk with him wholeheartedly every day until they step into eternity. Many say they believe, but only the few truly obey God. And only the few truly live the Christian life. Only a few are doers of the word. Matthew 22, verse 14, many are called, but few are chosen. In Noah's day, only Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time. The Bible says that he walked with God. In the wilderness generation that Moses led out of Egypt, of that first generation, only two, Joshua and Caleb made it into the promised land. In the parable of the sower, Jesus identified four types of soil. And here's the truth. Only 25% of those who hear the word demonstrate that they are good soil by hearing the word, accepting it, and producing a harvest. 30, 60, and 100 fold. As Jesus said, many are called, few are chosen. And some by their conduct, their choices, their decisions, they disqualify themselves, proving that they are unworthy of eternal life. That's why the Apostle Paul tells us in Philippians 2 verse 12, Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. With just 300 men, God gave Gideon a great victory. 300 out of 32,000 is less than 1%. 300 out of 32,000 is less than 1%. And this illustrates what Jesus taught. Many are called, but few are chosen. How many will make it? How many will walk in God's best? How many will be in the city of God someday? Jesus said in Matthew 7, verse 13, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it, but small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life. And only a few, only a few find it. A few, a few. And what is one of the number one ways in which someone disqualifies themselves? It is idolatry. It is idolatry. In Revelation chapter 21, Jesus tells us not only will the cowardly and the fearful not be in the city of God, but there will also not be any idolaters in the city of God. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. An idol is anything that you put ahead of God or his house or his word. And if you have children, an idol is anything you put ahead of your children and their good, their future, and their eternal salvation. We live in days of idolatry, and Americans have many idols, political idols, financial idols, entertainment idols, sports idols, social media idols, and even God's people have idols. The Bible says in Hebrews 10, verse 25, let us not give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. And yet, throughout America today, so many Christians 
are not in church with their families on the Lord's Day. Now, you might say, Austin, this does not make me happy. Austin, you're pressing my button. Well, if something so simple and so basic and so important offends you, then what else in your life is displeasing to God? If we cannot get something so simple and so basic and so important right, then what else is displeasing to the Lord God? Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. So it breaks our hearts. It's not just an issue here. It's not just an issue in Texas, throughout the land. There are believers. They're not in church with their families on the Lord's day. They choose not to obey the word of God. They choose not to put God first. They choose to honor everything but the Lord. And they disobey the word of God on gathering together. And that is one reason among many why the Lord cannot bless them. Proverbs 22, verse 6 says, Train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. The Bible tells us in Psalm 92, verse 13, Those who are planted in the house of the Lord, they shall flourish. Parents, if you don't put God first, why would your children put God first? And parents, the pattern you set is the pattern your children will embrace. And if you're only in church occasionally or once or, twi once or twice a month or once or twice a year, what will your children's pattern be someday if the Lord tarries? Growing up, people would tell me, Austin, my job asked me to work on Sundays, but I told them I cannot because Sunday is the Lord's day. But I, I cannot tell you when was the last time I heard that. Sunday is the Lord's day, but is it? Is Sunday the Lord's day in your life and in your family? In the early church over time, Christians soon began to gather and worship on Sundays because it was the day Jesus rose from the dead. Sunday is the Lord's day, and we should honor the Lord by being in church on Sundays with our families. But sadly, people commit to doing all kinds of things rather than being in the house of the Lord. Our three oldest children are involved in three different sports right now. You might say, Austin looks a little sleepy. He needs more rest. Well, they're, they're, all three oldest are involved in three different sports right now. But our family would never commit to do anything that would conflict with putting God first on Sundays. And look, I get it. In junior high and high school, I played basketball, and I should have practiced more, and I should have shot baskets more, and I was a forward, and I was good at rebounds. I, I think it'd be awesome if Samuel was a star player. I think it'd be awesome if Sophia or Michaela was a star player. But there are things in life that are more important. And I, look, I get it. Everything is crazy expensive. It'd be nice if they all got full scholarships. But there are things in life that are more important. I think we all picture Tim Tebow. And the reality is he's one in a million. But there's no doubt that players like him are punished and penalized for their Christian values, which tells you that a compromiser isn't going to make it. So if you teach your child to put God last, how are they going to be Tim Tebow someday? People don't truly understand us. 
Jessica has an engineering degree. If I was not called to full-time ministry and if she worked in Houston for an oil and gas company, didn't matter what I did, we would be in church with our family on Sundays, whether at Lakewood Church or Second Baptist Houston. Sunday is the Lord's Day. So when people choose something over the Lord, over the Lord's house, that becomes an idol. And I warn you that an idol in your life will be an idol in your children's lives. And an idol in your life will ensnare your children. Someone might say, well, Austin's just promoting Faith Christian Center. He's trying to help the 11 a.m. service. A man reached out to me recently because his marriage is in trouble. But I cannot remember the last time he and his family were in church. I told him, I'm not on Team Austin, I'm on Team Jesus. I told him, I said, whether at Faith Christian Center or somewhere closer to where you live, I didn't put in parentheses, if you're too lazy to drive farther, I'm a nice guy, whether here or somewhere closer to where you live, you need to be in church with your family. You need to be in church with your family. Sadly, I've not seen him. But you know what they have plenty of time for? You know what they have plenty of time for? Everybody's afraid to say it. Sports. But that's not going to save your marriage. That's not going to ensure you and your children are in the city of God someday. There's nothing wrong with it in the right place, in the right priority. Jesus said, seek the kingdom of God first and his righteousness first. But many put the kingdom of God last after everything else. I love you. And that's why I'm willing to deal with this this morning. I hope I get invited back. Amen. <laughs> Someone might say, this is temporary. To that I would say, at what cost? People text or message or call and say their marriage is in trouble or a child is not right or a child is lost. And again, I say, at what cost? I realize we have families visiting from St. Paul's. You may already have a church home. Wonderful. Be faithful in God's house with your family. If you don't have a church home, you're welcome here. We love God. We love his word. We love the people of God. We preach the word of God without compromise. We love the people of God. We feed the sheep. We protect the sheep. We disciple the sheep. We counsel the sheep. We, mar we marry the sheep. And when the time comes, we'll bury the sheep. People misunderstand us. I'm not on Team Austin. I'm on Team Jesus. When a, a young person graduates from St. Paul's and they finish their education and they get married and they, they move off and they're working and they're a success, I want to know that they're in a good church with a good pastor, being discipled, being a help, being a blessing, because I know that if they're doing that, there's going to be a good result down the road. Likewise, we're for children being protected, whether it's St. Paul's or if someone lives further away, a wonderful private Christian school, or if someone has the gifting and they're willing to put in the hard work that a child is homeschooled. Why? We understand it's about children being protected. But parents, if you put God last, why would, why would your children put God first? America is at the precipice morally and financially, and judgment is coming. These are the days to walk with God. How do you have a generation that grows up not knowing the Lord? Their parents have idols. An idol is anything you put ahead of God. And if you have children, an idol is anything you put ahead of them and their future and their eternal destiny. Why this message today? I want to see you and your children and grandchildren 
in the city of God someday. And sadly, like Samson's story, Gideon's story, it's not a story of victory. It is a sad, sad, sad story. Yes, he tore down his father's idols. He won a great victory. But when there were spoils of war, his concern was not an offering for the Lord. Gideon's concern was what he could keep for himself. The people gave him 43 pounds of gold, which he cast into an ephod, which became an idol. And so you understand the ephod was a garment the high priest wore. Gideon had no business doing that. He, he was not a Levite. And so that ephod, that only a Levite, the high priest was to have, Gideon fashioned for himself, and it became an idol. Parents, any idol in your life will become an idol and snare to your children. Gideon's father had idols, and so Gideon had idols. Judges 8, verse 27, Gideon made the gold into an ephod, which he placed in Ophrah, his town. All Israel prostituted themselves by worshiping it there, and it became a snare to Gideon and to his family. An idol in your life will become an idol and snare to your children. Yes, with Gideon's victory, there was peace 40 years. But just like his father, Gideon had an idol. It ensnared him. It ensnared his children. It ensnared all of Israel. And no surprise, because he had idols, he compromised in other ways. God never told them to have more than one wife, but Gideon did. He had 70 sons as a result. And then he had a son with a woman who was not his wife. That son was named Abimelech. Abimelech was a foreign name, a name used by Philistine kings who worshiped pagan gods. It referred to Malik, a pagan deity. His last son, he named after an idol. His last son, he named after a devil. Gideon, the man who tore down idols, had idols in his own life. So was his God Yahweh or Jehovah or was it Malik, the Philistine God? Which God really had his heart? After Gideon's death, that son named after a Philistine king, Abimelech, he plotted and conspired to murder all 70 of his brothers. Only one, the youngest, Jotham, escaped. Abimelech murdered 69 brothers, 69 of Gideon's sons. Only Jotham survived. The price of adultery and the price of idolatry are too high. What a sad, sad story. He might wonder, did Abimelech ever get what was coming to him? He did. He died at the hands of a woman. And he told his soldier buddy, no one can know that I died by a woman's hand, so run your sword through me. What a sad, sad story. And all unnecessary. Gideon told the people, he said, the Lord is your God. But then he made an idol. And so what you have to do is get out of your life Anything that is an idol, anything that has your heart more than God, you've got to put God first. Got to put God first. Got to put God first. And then you have to teach your children and your grandchildren, no matter what this wicked world is doing, no matter what this culture is doing,
no matter what the world says is okay, there are just some things we're not going to do because we're not going to walk down the broad road which leads to destruction. We're going to walk the narrow road with Jesus that leads to God's best and life in this life and life, true life, eternal life and eternity. Please bow your heads. You might be here today and you'd say, Austin, I've never given my life to Jesus. I've never asked Jesus to be my Lord, my Savior, but I want to give my life to him. The Bible tells us that there is a hell to be avoided and there is a heaven to be gained. This world we live in, it'll lie to you, it'll tell you that if you're just kind of good enough, that's sufficient or you can come up with your own way to God. Jesus said, he said, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. If you give your life to him, I'm telling you, your life will never be the same. If you're here today and say, Austin, that's me. I want to ask Jesus into my heart. I want to be a part of the family of God. If that's you, wherever you're seated, raise your hand where I'll see it and I'll know you'd like me to pray with you. Say, Austin, pray with me. I want to ask Jesus into my heart and into my life. You might also be here today and at a time in your life, you prayed a prayer, you walked an aisle, but you know in your heart, not living for God, not been putting God first. And you've paid the price in your life. The Bible tells us that the, the grace and the mercy of God, it is new every morning. The Bible tells us that if we confess our sins, he's faithful. He's just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You can have a new beginning. You can have a fresh start. But it all begins by making things right with God. If you're here today and say, Austin, that's me. I need to recommit my life. I want you to pray with me before I go today. If that's you, wherever you're seated, raise your hand. We're going to pray. You might be watching, listening online now or later. Maybe you say, Austin, I'm a visitor. I'm a bit, a bit bashful. Pray this prayer with me. Heavenly Father, I repent of my sins and I ask Jesus to be my Lord and Savior. I give my life to you and I thank you for setting me free of anything that would hinder me in living for you. Thank you for welcoming me into your family. Thank you for a new beginning and a fresh start. In Jesus' name, amen. If you're watching or listening online now or later, go to the address on the screen. We want to send some things to be a blessing. If you're here today, you may be a bit bashful. That's all right. After the service, see an usher, see one of the wonderful people at guest services. They'll talk to you. They'll pray with you. They'll put some things in your hands to be a blessing. You might say, why, why that message? We, we love you. We don't want to hear about trouble five years or 10 years from now. We want to hear praise reports. We want to hear testimonies. We want to hear about successes and good results. Amen.